have to frequently experience challenges and hardships to go, okay, I know how to manage that now. I'm not afraid of it. I have more confidence. It's easy to look at people who have done amazing things in their career. They're such highly accomplished dentists and they're only a number of years into their career, often in the single digits. These people are often the ones that I find perplexing on how they got there and and sometimes the ones where you you end up comparing yourself to them. Chadem Capel is easily one of those amazing dentists. She's doing exceptional dentistry, but at the same time, she's a thought leader in the space of practice management and systems, as well as communication. But then she's also an entrepreneur and her and a team are building a platform for systems called Level Up, as well as practice management software called Principle. But what I love about this podcast and what we do is we get their story, we get what's behind their success, and often there's a lot more than meets the eye. And this is something, this conversation, I think Chadem does a great job in sharing that it's not always simple and easy, it's not always success. Perfectionism can inhibit even people like Chadem who are doing more than you think is humanly possible. We covered a lot in this podcast. Obviously, we cover Chadem's journey into dentistry and then into private practice. We learn about how she developed her skills and some of the key pivotal moments that really helped her develop. We talk a lot about perfectionism and the fact that prolific beats perfect. We talked about how do you implement those things you've learned? How do you reflect? How do you grow as a dentist, as a person? She gives some specific tips in growing as a team as well and how to talk and work with your team. This is some of her most passionate work is systems and leveraging your team to achieve more and make your life easier. As always, we finish off with some specific advice for graduates and this, I really enjoyed this podcast with someone who is just an inspiration in the industry. She's doing amazing things. She's generous in her thought leadership and sharing her knowledge and it was an absolute pleasure having Dr. Chidem Capel on the podcast. I'm sure we'll hear a lot more from Chidem in the future. Aesthetics is not just prepping teeth. If we want to be minimally invasive, we need to use aligners or some sort of orthodontics to put the teeth in the right place before we change their form. And of course, the pioneer of this is Invisalign. They've got the most experience, the most cases have gone through their platform and the most in-depth tools to use to get your patients from where they are to where they want to be. Once you're ready to provide aligners, Invisalign Go is the perfect entry point. It's the first step in becoming an Invisalign provider, allowing you to do relatively simple cases effectively and efficiently with their online tools. Go to invisalign-doctor.com.au to start your aligner journey today. Dr. Chidham Capel, welcome to the Dental Head Start podcast. Hi, David. How are you? <laughs> I'm well, thank you. This, um, this one's a little overdue. You're someone who genuinely inspires me, what you've done in your career. You're still very young and, and achieved so much. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, that was a very generous introduction, but thank you very much. <laughs> um, no, just very happy to share anything that I've, um, I've learned in the last few years with um, a, an, an audience of dentists who are obviously... Um, really super keen to learn and grow. I wish I had this when I graduated. 
I appreciate that. And the, the dentists that are listening definitely are keen to learn and grow. And I think that's, that's why getting this information out there is so important. But you, you know, in your career, you've already, you're already managing practice, you're doing exceptional dentistry, um, but you're also an entrepreneur. You're doing Level Up, you're creating a practice management um, software called Principal. I, I find it amazing what you're doing and how well you're doing it, particularly the dental cases. I want to know, though, what, what's driving you? What's pushing you to, to go so hard so early? I don't know. You know, people, there is this, there's this famous um, TED talk by this guy called Simon Sinek. It's called like, what is your why? I think it comes up a lot and he's like, what is your why? And you need to know your drive and your why. I actually confess, I don't know sometimes why I do what I do. It's like, um, you know, if I really, really went deeper into sort of why I'm doing it. It's because um, I think growing up we were mi- migrants from Turkey. I was born overseas. We, I couldn't speak English throughout, you know, the first part of primary school and my parents were very, um, whilst they weren't, um, like my dad was a taxi driver but he was very, very big on education and, you know, did the whole immigrant guilt trip thing. You have to go to university. It's kind of why we we, we, we moved countries for you. Um, so there was a little bit of this expectation that I had to prove myself and I had to keep going and keep going. And, it, and at some point it just it was self-perpetuating and, um, you know, sometimes you, you're, we can surprise ourselves with what we can accomplish and then go, oh, okay, it, it takes this or I, I just have to keep going or it didn't matter that I sucked at this for the first whatever. So it just kind of kept going. And and then, you know, I really, really enjoyed dentistry. And once um, I got over the brutal challenge of the first few years of clinical <laughs> dentistry, you know, there were times when I just would be in my head going, I don't know what I'm doing. I finally kind of know semi what I'm doing now a little bit um, with clinical dentistry, but then um, – I really just got into the practice management and the business side of dentistry because it's just there, there's so much opportunity there. There's so many things that we can still do and I, I just became a little bit obsessed with experimenting with what I'd learned and, um, and you know, through constant adaptation and evolution. I just, it's become like a little bit of a game. Like every time I learn something, I put it into practice, there's a result, then you adapt again from there. And um, and then when I looked back, I thought, wow, we've actually c- come a long way. And um, yeah, so my, I really think that everything is about people and processes. And if I can somehow contribute to the world of designing that process or improving that process, then and for you know, my colleagues to benefit, then, you know, why not? I love that. I, I love it that you find something and you get obsessed with it and you want to fix it, you want to make it better. And I think, um, you know, it's a lot to do with work ethic and it's a lot to do with passion. Do you think a lot of your work ethic came from, you know, your father and taxi driver working hard in a new country? I think um, there's always like um, a, a that I think that speaks to discipline, like forcing yourself to do things that – like right now, I want to go down to the pub and have a really cold drink. And <laughs> but no, I'm also very happy to be here. But it's about it's. Someone told me this saying like it's what you do when you're not getting paid that matters. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I said that correctly, but um, mm. so if you can, you know, they always said like you got to work hard and you have to do things in your own time and work at it in the background. Um, 
if anything, I probably could go a little too far and some would say I have an Im- imbalanced life and I, I have a dog now, so that's balanced me out <laughs> yeah, quite a bit. That's, yeah. yeah, but um, as, as everybody on, in the, on the internet knows that I have a dog. But, um, yeah, I think it just comes from the sense of responsibility that is kind of put on you when you're, when you're younger. Look, everybody has that to some degree. Apparently a lot of firstborn children have that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. I, I don't know. I'm second born. I think I was competitive to try and beat my sister, and uh, <laughs> so we both went all right. Um, I got a lot of my work ethic definitely from my parents, my dad. Um, there's something I've heard of called the entrepreneur's curse, and it's a bit. It's along the lines of you know you achieve something, you build something, and then you you just move the goalposts, like you forget to celebrate. Is that something you see in yourself? Uh, yeah, hundred um, percent. People only feel and experience but the brain is only good at um what they say compare like contrasting and comparing like what's immediately in front of you and so it's hard to stop in a moment and go you know what I dreamed about being a dentist once upon a time I dreamed about managing a big team or being a principal dentist once upon a time I dreamed about having this um starting practice management software and when it was just an idea it was like so far-fetched that I thought oh how ridiculous to even let yourself um indulge in that idea and now it's happened I I I confess yeah I don't sit there and go oh wow I'm really should be really really grateful because it's just one foot in front of the other um so if anyone has any tips for me (laughs) <laughs> well, great. I was going to ask, I was actually going to ask, like, obviously, this is something that does apply to us as young dentists. And, you know, if anyone out there is a student in dentistry or a dentist, you've achieved immense amounts already. Totally. And, and it's very easy for us to forget that. Um, I thought perhaps you could speak to that, but perhaps we all suffer. No, no, I haven't problem. recovered from this illness or this problem. But I think, yeah, I, I, I'm actually very conscious of it. I, you know, we have to stop, be grateful for where we've come and, and acknowledge that all those steps that we've been taking in times when it felt like we're not going anywhere, we, we are actually are. Or in times when you feel like there's been a setback, that's actually been the biggest step forward. Um so it, it's um, it is really important to stop and celebrate because I guess that that's what fuels the next few steps forward. Um, yeah, and and what I guess another curse of the on- entrepreneur uh, is that it, it's easy to want to you get a million ideas, but an idea is worth nothing if it's not implemented. It's only the idea that's actioned. Um, that that matters. So it's so easy, it's tempting to lose focus on your original idea. Um, my software team constantly say we should have never started Level Up. Now, I think Level Up's an awesome idea, but it was actually like a sister product. It was like a side product that I just kind of needed it for, for myself. But um, it actually did make us, um, it, it diluted, diverted our time and diluted our effort and energy. Laser sharp focus is is so critical. Um, now, I'm not saying it was a mistake, but it was a lesson learned. Now, I have a, we all have a hundred other ideas, like this would be amazing. You know, you, I know that you've got, um, you uh, pursue a lot of entrepreneurial um, efforts and ideas. It's so easy to go, oh, I'm just going to follow that. But you have to sort of really nurture one from start to finish and see it through and give it laser sharp focus. Otherwise, it's just easy for it to um, lose momentum. 
It's such an important lesson and it's something I think we can apply really directly to our learning in dentistry and doing CPD as well. Like it's very easy to come out of dentistry and you go and do 100 different things in CPD. You don't have any focus really and you also don't really re- review it. You don't make take the action of reviewing your content, learning it properly and then perhaps actually doing it in clinical practice. I found that. I'm sure, I'm sure you see the same. It's a really good tip. So you said you were born in Turkey. Um, tell us about your journey. How did you end up here in Australia and how did you end up in dentistry? Um, uh, actually, this is a story I'd love to share. Um, my parents just, well, I had one uncle here. My parents had the opportunity to migrate over. It wasn't like there was no bad circumstances. We just had the opportunity to migrate to Australia. We had one relative here at the time. And um, so I was only about five or six years old at the time. My parents just moved here so we could get a better education as a lot of migrant parents you know do and um tried my best I was a little bit slow with school and um when I was around 15 years old I actually developed um like a TMJ issue I I literally couldn't open my mouth it was clicking and cracking on one side and it actually became quite painful and I could could hardly eat or chew and I ended up seeing this um this dentist, this young female dentist who was training to become a prosthodontist. Her name, and she's a prosthodontist now, her name is Danielle Layton, Dr. Danielle Layton. And I just loved going to Westmead Hospital to see her. You know, she would, I don't don't even remember what we did. We had mould, we had a splint made. She would just do, I think I was part of some research study at the time. I was only 15. And she just seemed really passionate about dentistry, um, my mum uh, was a midwife in Turkey, so I always wanted to do something in healthcare. And I just loved going. I, I really liked her and she really inspired me. I said, oh, do you like dentistry? She goes, I love it. And I'm like, should I do it? She said, yeah, do it. So I'm like, all right, I'll do it. And that was as it was as simple as that. Years later, I got into dental school, um, undergraduate in uh, Griffith University. It was, in, it was a new university at the time. And uh, when I was graduating, I emailed every dentist, you know, in the Southern Hemisphere for a job. <laughs> yeah, um, and But I came across her name and I sent her the most heartfelt email saying, you know, you inspired me, you probably don't remember me, but I'm about to graduate now. And um, sadly, I didn't receive a response. Now, I'd like to believe she didn't receive my email. But many years after that, I bumped into her at some, some event and, and I walked up to her and I said, I don't know if you remember me, but blah, blah, blah. And she just like put her hands on my shoulders and gave me a big hug and we both cried and it was it was bloody beautiful. That, that really is beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> People that inspire us, those little chance encounters, it can change your entire life. Yeah, and, and I think we have to also appreciate that sometimes we can do that for others and not even, not even realise. So we're lucky that we work in big teams in our practices. It's not, dentistry is not um, a... We're not like jewellery makers or ceramists where we work alone. We actually have to work in a team. We rely on other people. But there's this opportunity that to positively influence others, other people's lives. I was a, I was a dental um, assistant and I thought dentistry is ridiculous. I'll never do that. I have to work with patients. I'm going to be an engineer. No way. Um, and, and obviously, you know, gravitated towards it and was completely inspired by the dentist. That was my dentist and then my boss and, and yeah, now, now a colleague. So um, it's the people who inspire us. Do you remember your, um, your first patient? Um, I do. I do. And it was an extraction, which was shocking. It was like I think the tutor got in trouble for letting me do that. Um, Did the um, tooth break? No, it was so perio-affected. I think I just like 
um, you know, flap some wind and then it, it kind <laughs> yeah. of came out. So it was a successful extraction. <laughs> but it's crazy, um, like how little we knew back then that we had. You had this exam in I don't know what year or second year or and and it was an OSCE and and it the question was I remember um, there are some uh, bite wings in front of you. They're the film bite wings. What is the diagnosis and what tooth is, is it on? And it was basically you had sixty seconds to look at the X ray on the X ray box, diagnose the caries, which tooth it, it is, etc. I don't think anyone even knew how to orient orientate an x-ray they didn't know left from right from quadrant one to quadrant four and it's just like the things we take for granted now is when we when we work with a new um say a new dental assistant who hasn't been isn't very experienced in dentistry you're like can i see the right hand side bite wing i don't know which is right you're like (laughs) obviously the molars are here but you know um it was funny just thinking back to this oski that everybody failed because no one could even orientate the x-ray let alone diagnose the right tooth (laughs) It's easy to forget how far we've come, but that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. And I think the people listening who are a little earlier on, perhaps thinking about a certain procedure that they might never get on top of, I assure you, you will. It just takes time and experience and you'll get there. Yes. Um, tell us, uh, so, you, so you did the undergraduate. So you're obviously quite young when you graduated. Um, wh- what was that experience like being quite a young graduate? I was in a postgraduate, so I was like 27 myself. I still look really young. <laughs> but what was that experience for you? You do look young. I have the benefit <laughs> of seeing it. a video now. How, how lucky. Um, <laughs> I, the thing is like we, I don't know because I, I've only, I don't know any better. Um, that maybe with the people who were postgrads or the guys that graduated later definitely had a level of wisdom and and confidence that they could at least learn something so i'd say the level of confidence was um probably pretty low and and it was it was relative to my age 22 now i think god i didn't know anything and i didn't even know how to you know learn properly or have perspective you just and it's not a bad thing it's just i hadn't accrued that um life wisdom because i hadn't experienced the volume of challenges or the variety of hardships and stuff. It's just like we have to frequently experience challenges and hardships to go, okay, I know how to manage that now. I'm not afraid of it. I have more confidence. I think confidence comes from not from getting things right a hundred times, but getting things wrong and then knowing the outcome of, of that or how you would manage it or how you would not manage it. That's how you build confidence. I used to, um, I don't know if other dentists can relate to this. I think a lot of dentists suffer from um, perfectionism and perfectionism doesn't mean that, you know, you're perfect all the time. It's it's the sense that it not, you're not good enough or it's never good enough and it's this unattainable um, standard that you're always chasing. That's it's why it's hard to feel grateful or, or accept an imperfect situation. And because of that, we constantly try to avoid... Um, making a mistake or taking risks. And I think one of the um, biggest lessons that I learned over time was the more frequently we can um, put ourselves in an uncomfortable position or vary our style and take small risks and have things go wrong, the more frequently we do that, the faster we will grow that we will expedite our growth because every time we do something the right way we actually are stagnant in our growth I think I was trying to um I was telling a young dentist recently 
you know, he was like, yeah, you know, I normally do checkups and cleans every day. You know, I'm nervous about getting into implants or this or that or the other. And, you know, I said, look, every time you do a checkup and a, a, a clean, that's something you know how to do very well. You're, you're missing a growth opportunity. Do something that you're really uncomfortable with a little bit more frequently than you have been. It doesn't mean you're going to be a cowboy and just take every risk under the sun, but things are supposed to go wrong. It's not, um, I, I'm now confident in my ability. Not, I'm, I don't worry. I never fear that things will go wrong. I expect them to go wrong now. And it could be a problem with a staff member, a debond of a CEREC, a, um, whatever, whatever it is, all the little issues we have as a, in our lives as dentists, <laughs> it could be anything. So I don't fear things going wrong now. I, um, know how to, I trust that I'll, I'll be able to manage it. And I'm not afraid of the unexpected now because I've had things go wrong enough times that like it's always turned out fine in the end. Yes, it's a headache. Yes, you stress out. And at the time you feel like, what a burden. I wish this never happened. And mm. if you ask any um, any dentist, no matter what their level, especially super experienced dentists, um, they'll always say, you know what, in the end I'm glad that happened because had it not happened, I would have never X, Y, Z. Yeah. And you've learned how to manage it. You've got the confidence you can manage that situation. I think confidence absolutely comes from being able to defuse. Number one, I never com- I used to fear, I think they put this in you in dental school. I used to fear that, <laughs> that a patient would sue me. Like mm. I think a lot of dentists, especially overseas dentists, they're like they would do take extraordinary actions to avoid getting sued. But sometimes the cost of avoiding being sued, whatever it may be, like you have a, um, 22 page consent form and you have a one and a half hour consultation and it's not worth it the cost of it is at one some point it's just not worth it because you still need to be an efficient practitioner and use common sense so it's okay to you know um, weigh up your risk reward ratio and your effort and benefit ratio and do what you can take a calculate take calculated risks and Expect that, you know, whatever, one in one in ten times things won't go exactly perfectly, but you'll manage them. And most of them are really minor and manageable. So now it's um I think that was one of my biggest like turning points in in my career at least is the point where I didn't fear going to work or something going wrong with my clinical procedure. Hmm. There's so much I wanna go on from there. I wanna say there's two things that come to my mind, like um there's a there's a saying in particularly in in entrepreneurialism doing things it prolific is better than perfect and it's that you need to get things out there test and and get the feedback and then continue um and then another thing that is just development happens at the edge of comfort you have to be at that edge where you're not developing you mentioned also though um that that was one of the key things that allowed you to kind of break through in your clinical career how did you learn that like how how did that did you have mentors? Did you learn that just through your own reflection? How did that come about? Um, I was um, a couple of things. So I was working. I, I, my work colleague at, um, is Ben Hargrave. He he and I are a similar graduation level, experience level, and he would. Um, I noticed we would learn something, and he would just book a 
case in that like the next week and whereas I was like I need to read it I need to um I think I may have said this in another podcast like I'll read it I'll read the journal articles about it I'll go watch at an expert do it then I'll practice it on my mum then I'll do a, a review and a follow-up and then I'll find the perfect patient who I know won't sue me and I'll try it and it's always fine whereas Ben would just learn it he gets what he needs to get he accepts that it's you know that he's not the number one person in dentistry with this pr- procedure, but he goes ahead and, and does it. And what it made me realise is that his learning curve was so much, was always going to be steeper than mine if he adopted this attitude. Now, he is not a careless practitioner. He's not a cowboy. This is not about that. But it's about setting your um, learning curve gradient and being okay with the um, level of risk you have to take or just like going for it. Do it imperfectly. Do things because if you wait for perfection, that learning curve is just going to get flatter and flatter and flatter. So that's the price of um, perfectionism. And I actually had to learn that, one, through witnessing Ben, who was always a colleague of mine, um, do it. I don't want to say imperfect. It was always fine, but he he would just have the confidence to go ahead with it. And if things went wrong, he would just manage it. And I thought, wow, okay, if he can do it, I can do it. And that was sort of like learning through example. But, um, you know, perfectionism was was, um, really, I I was really paralysed by it. I think I told you before we just started recording this podcast that I actually wrote a little article about this that I wanted to um, share on DPR or something. But, you know, sometimes the more I write, the more I you know, the more you want it to be perfect and at the beginning it was just like whatever and, and now I, I've just somehow put some pressure on myself that this has to be good or I don't want to receive too much criticism about what I'm about to say because I know that it, there are some ideas I'm putting out there that might not be popular. I'm not trying to please everyone but I was just editing and editing and editing and I thought, okay, now I've made the mistake. Pro- what did you say? Prolific is better than yeah. perfect. Now yeah. I just haven't released it at all. I haven't actually um, <laughs> published any, like, anything for the last couple of months and I've got five or six articles that are just sitting there um, and I just think they're not to my standard but the key is not to edit it and edit it and raise the standard the key is just to go you know what it's the principle of diminishing returns no one's going to notice these edits that I've made and it's better better being out there it's actually been really challenging with um, the entrepreneurial side of things because obviously we're building practice management software a topic by the way or something that Den- all dentists are so opinionated about this, so opinionated about I want this button here and I want the ability to do this and I want to be able to manipulate the calendar this way and we're really, really just um, opinionated about things. But So I've just gone into something as a perfectionist and a people pleaser where I absolutely will not please everyone. It won't be right the first go. Um, I'm actually... Um, I know that many dentists are entrepreneurial actually in Australia. They really are. And um, if I can just engage with other progressive entrepreneurial types that go, you know what, I like where this is going. I don't trust that it's going to be perfect, but I trust that you'll constantly iterate and iterate and iterate until it gets better and better. That's what they would invest in. So I'm not, it's, um, yeah, learning not to worry about, getting it perfect for everybody or pleasing everybody but um being authentic to yourself and (laughs) being a little bit more rigid about you know what it is that you're about and then letting 
the world, those who are attracted to that come to you rather than adapting and because it's just, it takes way too much energy to, to have to do that. And I think the same is about dentistry. You know, one of the, um, you know, I, I speak a lot about communication. I'm really interested in patient communication, but no matter what I, what I've learned or what I share, the biggest, most important thing that I would say to dentists is you have to be authentic. Like you still scratch some of the things I say, but replace it with your own um, authentic style because the moment you start deviating too far from that, it starts draining your emotional and mental energy and you will leave dentistry so depleted you'll end the day feeling like low but like your batteries are flat. If you're really, really authentic and enjoy dentistry and you're just being yourself, sure, one out of ten patients won't vibe with you but you would have maintained your full batteries and it's it's okay and you'll find that it's it's you're meant to you're not meant to attract everyone if you're getting 10 out of like 100% success and retention and whatever you're probably doing it wrong you're you're attracting too many of the wrong types as well well, you're trying to please everyone, and that's the thing. Exactly, you 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 make a really good point that in in you know your writing, and I, I like that you have some things written that you're not ready to publish, and you, you feel that way because I have done the same thing, and it's nice to know that others feel the same way. Yeah, I, I'm. By the way, I'm guilty of every um, everything that I say. I'm like, people should do this. I'm, like, yeah, I'm yeah. guilty of it too. I'm still learning. Yeah, <laughs> I love that, and that's the attitude that that brings us so far forward. And it's good that you're sharing it at the same time, though, which I, I love that. Um, and the the topic you're talking about, you know, trying to please everyone when you're doing your writing, but it, as you said, you took it back to the the patient communication and and the fact that we are not going to be everybody's dentist, and we have to be true and authentic to ourselves. That's what keeps us going yeah. as dentists. Totally, and and it's the moment where we get a rejection that it can hurt, and in that moment, it feels like you've done something wrong. It wasn't great. Um, you know, you're like, what did I do? I made a mistake. I've stuffed up here. I feel terrible. That is the moment where it's hard to, it's truly hard to see that it's a good thing. And in that moment, I would say it's all right. It's meant to happen. And now when things go wrong, I always say like something in my head and I say, this is meant to happen. You win some, you lose some. This is the one that I, I lost. And it's okay if this is the, you know, you win some, you lose some. If this is the thing that I've lost, then it's not that bad. Um, and then if I'm really, really desperate, no one died. <laughs> We're lucky in dentistry. That's <laughs> always the answer. Um, but it, it's it's another thing is that the if you are, you know, attracting a certain type of person because you are authentic, you're being yourself, which is unique, you're going to actually attract more of the type of people that you're better working with and patients you want to treat. So it actually makes dentistry a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. And then you will feel um, and when you do come across someone that isn't right for you, um, you can, I suppose, uh, you don't have to, you can end that relationship professionally um, with confidence. You can like, I literally had to break up with a patient, you know, last week. It's always horrible and awkward, but um, that feeling of I don't need to do this, I don't need to stress myself out. You know, a few years ago um, or when I was a young grad, I would have felt like, oh, no, I've made a mistake. I've No, no, not at all. It's just this is this is the one in 10 people that isn't your, I mean, one in 10 to stretch, but like you're not meant to have um, everybody vibe with you. And it is a good thing that you start um, lifting the average of your, um, the people around you, including your patients. Yeah. I like that. That's, that's really good. 
when we think about you know going through our career and getting to you know higher levels of career, obviously there are the times we have we have breakthrough moments. We kind of realize certain things or we learn certain things. What are some of the breakthroughs? Obviously, we were talking about you know you were you, with CPD and you're actually starting to really do those procedures fairly quickly. Um, any other breakthroughs that you can share? Yeah, I, I have a couple of these because I thought about this a lot. I actually wrote a blog on it, which is why I was like, oh, that's a cool question. <laughs> yeah. um, one of them was this idea that this realization that um, change takes effort and energy, and to do things the same way is takes is low energy. So if we take the path of least, least resistance, which is what our brains and bodies want to do all the time, we will again stay on this low um, gradient of our learning curve. Like it will not be steep. If we want to make it steeper and steeper we actually have to take like have these little bursts of energy and um, take the effort to constantly evolve and grow and change. And now what this means is in, in the practical world is if you go to a, um, a CPD event and you have a, there's a whole bunch of takeaways, you know, they say something like only one in whatever, like a small percentage of people actually um take action with what they've learned or, or actually put into place or implement what they've learned. If you constantly don't go like go, don't go down the path of least resistance, but actually take the effort to implement what you've learned. It could be purchasing that new piece of equipment that you watch the specialist do or trying a new material or um, uh, implementing a communication technique that feels maybe a little bit weird to you, but you're going to try it. That takes effort. And just remember that most people will learn it and not take their, go down the path of least resistance. So my breakthrough moment was like, if I expend a small amount of energy doing it differently every day, I do something, I adapt something, some, I vary something. Unless we have those variations in experience, we can't look back and go, oh, this is the way I do this because blah, blah, blah. Because the truth is because you've done it a few different ways. And I tell um, my um, the associates at our practice now when when we do mentoring with them, I always say find opportunities to vary your approach in even in the smallest way. Do it a little bit def- differently. Find an opportunity to experiment with a new thing. Use a slightly different material. Try a different shade. Um, uh, he's like, you know, they're like, do I do PFM or do I do zirconia? Honestly, they're both going to be fine, but why don't you try it and experience it for yourself? Because um, so that's one thing. Evolution comes from adaptation. You know how they say evolution in in animals and things? It's because of the little variations that it it happens. But if we learn, if we stick to perfectionism and we go, this is how you're meant to do dentistry, this is the perfect way to cement a veneer, and you do it that exact way every time and you get it right every time, you will never be able to say, oh, this is the best way to do it because you've only ever done it that way. Every time you do a procedure you're really, really confident with and you do it exactly the same way in every way, you haven't, you can't say, you know, you should see my CEREC preps, by the way. They're all (laughs) a little bit different because, and I'm not trying to be, you know, treat my patients as guinea pigs. This is very appropriate and um, like I've, uh, it's a measured approach right I'm not just like whatever today I'm going to use articane on you and lignocaine here and whatever 
I, I'm just um, where things are, you know, you listen to de- or you read, we re- read debates on DPR and, you know, people debate over their approach to things. The truth is they all work differently in other people's hands. And if I'm faced with a situation where I've got a really chill patient, a really good clinical situation, I might do it a way that I haven't done it before. I'm going to adapt it a little. So I can look back and say, wow, I've discovered that this is actually really good in my hands or whatever it is. So find constant um, ways to experiment or do it differently. I love that. I really love the analogy with evolution because they are small adaptations that have um, been better and then then gone on from there. But you only know that they're better because you did it worse once or you gave yourself that you treated yourself with the experience of doing it um, a less effective way or a more effective way or whatever it is um but if we don't try it we'll just um, never go there and I think um it's okay then that's what I mean steepen your learning curve by creating these adapt um uh, uh committing to constant adaptation and improvement find opportunities to experiment or do something a little differently every day I'm also hearing reflection though. You know, it's not just like 100%. willy-nilly doing things. It's it's focused. Yeah. Tell, tell us about that. One of the, if you go to a CPD event, you learn something, you have to reflect and go, okay, what am I going to adapt? Like, what did I learn? Re- Otherwise, it's just a waste. Um, it's so other, easy this, to do that, isn't it? Yeah. It's so easy to go and that's, it is easy. It's almost, it's like a day off work. You get to hang out with some people and, you, you know, you go home and if you if you don't look back and actually learn that stuff, you've spent thousands of dollars and wasted it. Totally. And I've been guilty of that. Um, remember, so the path of least resistance is going back to work and doing things the way you've always done. It's actually a very small amount of energy to go, you know what? I'm actually going to try this and do and be uncomfortable and feel like it's a lot of effort and go through the pain of trying to convince my DA to just go with me on this (laughs) and and whatever it is. But this is um, an approach that it's actually a value of mine that I have um, that actually all of us in my, both of the teams that I work in, the software team 100% are all over it because they are all about um, testing, retesting, and iterations. They deliberately create variations or or, or test a hypothesis. It's because we um, it, this is research and development. When we develop something, we need feedback. We test it, we iterate, and we go again. If we just kind of get free information or we learn that something's worked well for someone, rather than saying, "Oh, that's a crap idea," we have to actually try it ourselves to to um, to learn that. Reflection is, um, so the practical, I mean, everyone knows what reflection is and this all sounds good, but this is how it works practically in practice. When um, I have a, a new staff member or a DA, after every appointment, I would challenge yourselves to all do this, but pick a day and go, after every appointment, we're going to finish a full five minutes early. And at the end of the appointment, we're actually going to like talk about that appointment, everything from how it was set up, were we running on time, um, did we have any opportunities, how did we communicate, did anything get stuffed up, are we low on stock on something, is the, like, um, you know, the things that you wanted to tell your DA but you couldn't because you're in front of the patient, oh, by the way, the TV <laughs> remote to, you know, turn down the volume is here, make sure that it's at an appropriate volume or I, little, little, little things that you just don't say. If you just spend five minutes at the end and get your DA's opinion on how did, how did it, how did the appointment run? Everything from how did the treatment go? How was the customer service experience for the patient? How did we go operationally? Were we efficient? Were there 
um, opportunities that we could have, um, uh, uh, opportunities to make it more efficient for next time. You do come up with ideas. You know, they'll often say, oh, I noticed that you're using this a lot. Perhaps we should move this to the top of the drawer and couple it with the other thing that you always use it with so we can be efficient every time. Your DA will say that if you reflect. Do it for one day with every patient of the day um, and you will be addicted to this, like, new thing that goes, oh, my gosh, everything is an opportunity to improve, but we just never stopped to reflect because it takes time. And it's that path of least resistance again that's that's against us. It's it's that defaulting back to the old way of oh, it's just easier to get on with the next patient. I can't be bothered. Exactly. It's just easier not to. But remember the reward is so much greater than the perceived cost. The reward is so much and that's why um, I guess we the inspiration behind Level Up, which is essentially a way to um, document all of your processes and systems and how things are done with you and your practice. If we document them, yes, there's an, the cost of effort and time, but the perceived cost is, um, sorry, the reward is so much greater than the perceived cost, like by a hundredfold, because every time you stop to define and the ideal way that something should be done, it is done that way every time. Um, and there's so much, obviously I want to say about that. It's about teaching. It's about getting your team involved. It's about gaining their buy-in, um, and aligning your, um, your values with what you're, what it is you're trying to do as a dentist and getting your team to back Mm -hmm. you a hundred percent. It's yeah, exactly. It's leadership, and I, I I love that you brought that up. That's exactly where I was going to go with this conversation. I, I think level up. I, we said this before. I think it's it's a genius idea, and it's something that everybody needs. L- literally, every practice needs it. But also from my experience and working with the podcast and uh, and CPD Junkie, these things. Um, when we set systems and d- make the effort to do that, it pays dividends hundredfold like you said it's exactly the same in dentistry um one of the things that you're so passionate about obviously it's you know practice management side the business management but it keeps coming up you know it's communication but not necessarily with our patients it's with our staff tell us a a bit about that i really want to get some tips especially for the 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 audience and myself i'm an associate um you know I, i don't quite run the practice what what should we be thinking about um as dentists, we are in a leadership position already. Actually, everybody is in a leadership position, even our even our auxiliary staff. Um, and because of that, there is this enormous untapped potential of what you can achieve in in your ultimate goals as a practitioner or a dentist. When you are growing as a dentist and you're at the start of your career, you're just trying to learn everything yourself. You are learning like from, you know, level zero and you're building up your skills and building up your skills. And as you get better and better at at something and as you have repeated experiences, you realise that there are better, more effective, efficient, productive ways to do things. As you do all these little variations in your approach, you can actually go, you know what, there is a way that this can be done more effectively or efficiently and by the way we all have systems it's just the way things are done it's just that no one documents them when you have to document them what you're forced to do is go is this the most effective way that it could be done it actually forces you to reflect just for a moment because remember there are systems anyway the cost of not 
writing or documenting or defining your processes is the cost of lost opportunity of not ever doing it a better way. Um, and a better way, I promise a better way exists for everything. And I don't do everything the best way. I just am committed to constant adaptation. Um, so, you know, we get to this point in our career where we're working or we're working, we've kind of got the gist of it. We're trying to be more effective. We're trying to be more productive. Our books get busier and busier and it feels like we hit some sort of plateau or, or some sort of ceiling where we just can't be more efficient. We only have one pair of hands. We can only treat one patient at a time in most cases. And then you feel like you're stuck. The point where, you know, things can really shift is the realisation that you can leverage the capabilities of other people. This is your DAs, your front office team, your managers. If you look at a practice, if there are... um, if there are 20 people working in a practice, only the minority of them are dentists. The majority of the staff in a practice are your auxiliary staff. They're the ones doing everything else so that you can optimise your two hands. And if you look at every little thing that you do in a single day, I promise there's probably a whole bunch of stuff that could be um, delegated to someone else you could empower a new staff member to go I trust you to do this you are the best person to do this everybody wants to grow and develop and be challenged and be in a supportive environment of of course and once it's it's like a win-win-win-win once you realize that you can leverage the capabilities of your team if you think about that person who sits next to you every day and is a bit is daydreaming and setting up for another check and clean and whatever there is so much capability to um, op, like concentrate um, your day with what it is you want to do, the kind of treatment that you like doing and really, really limiting what you do second to second, minute to minute with only the things that you have to do. Every, if it can be done, it can be learned. That's what I, I completely believe that. So these days, so basically I'm sorry to be so abstract and vague about that but basically (laughs) what happened was I finally started getting into dentistry and our practice was getting bigger and bigger and we were were actually growing and we all sort of felt like we were busy and our books were full but um but I was hearing about dentists who were um doing xyz you know cosmetic treatment all day every day I really like cosmetic implants and Invisalign I um I would do that all day every day if I if, if it was my choice But I thought, how do you get to doing that all day, every day, you know, billing tenfold what I was feeling? I was like, what is it? What is the difference? And it was that those teams um, were operating in a way where the dentist's time and effort and energy was purely concentrated on one thing and and the auxiliary staff were able to literally do everything else. Um, So... What I realized was, okay, we need proper systems in place about how things should be done, not the way things that are done. Because the way things that are done was just a natural evolution of, yeah, this is what I learned in dental school and this is what I saw my um, practice principal do once or twice and I've just adopted it from someone else. It is rarely the most efficient way to do something if you think about like um and by the way I'm not trying to say that I'm the most effective or efficient I'm just saying naturally we all just adopt um um what we've learned through dental school or from our our um 
um, early mentors and we just sort of adapt to that. But if we want to get more, like if, if we purposely want to be more effective at what we do or concentrate our time with the kind of dentistry we want to do, we have to look at our surrounding team and go, what is it that you could do to free up my um, time and mental energy so I'm only doing this? And really dentists have to ultimately do the final diagnosis and operate that handpiece. There is really a lot that um, can be done by the staff. And so we got to a point in our practice where where there were so many staff, like we were just growing and growing at a rate that was fantastic because we were good at retaining patients and great at communicating. But the way we were operating, the way we were doing our recalls, the way we we were actually losing a lot of um, potential um, um, retention, potential production, potential everything because we hadn't really um, thought, thought to stop and go, hang on, are we just pouring more and more and more water into a leaky bucket and it feels like there's so much water going into the bucket it feels like you're busy but actually that's when you're being the most wasteful and you're you're losing the most so we um I kept saying to my team like we need proper systems for everything because every time we recruit a new staff member it's getting harder and harder and harder for them to learn our way of doing things because we're adopting new technology we're adopting new sit new um IT systems, we're adopting new, um, offering new treatment services. We all have to learn this and it was just getting harder to recruit. So I said, I need a a way to be able to document our processes and systems. We were writing them on Google Docs and kind of hoping that all the staff would log in and read (laughs) them and that just wasn't happening. And at one point I just had no idea who knew how to do what. I think I asked someone, can you take an impression of this patient while I step out and do an OPG here or do an examination in the hygiene room. And the staff member was like, oh, I haven't done that before. I don't know. And that staff member had been there for ages. And I thought, how is it that there is not a structured training program where they come into the job and they actually have a clear set pathway with all of the things that they need to know to do their role? And so you know, I said, all right, guys, we we need to stop and we all need to sort of think about where our practice is going. We have this huge opportunity with growth, but we're actually losing a lot because we're not doing things the most effective way. Why not let, Why not capture this opportunity and grow the practice to its full potential? But it all requires us to put our hands in together and commit to doing our bit. And um, so we, I didn't write the systems myself the team did and that was the critical factor you know we stopped and we went right I am not the best person to you know write a system on how the new patient phone call is answered but as a leader I might say the ultimate goal of answering a new patient phone call is to get conversion is to get that patient into our practice so write a system that the where the goal where that is the um the outcome um, rather than me dictate and micromanage every little little thing of it, and and us and I, you know, we might say you guys are the best people to write this. And all of our clinical processes were written by our DAs, our lab, um, how to make a splint, how to empty the plaster trap, how to um, um, what are the general rules for reception guidelines with people waiting, and it's little things like be careful what conversations happen at the front, offer them still or sparkling water upon arrival, greet them by name, look them in the eye and acknowledge their appointment. 
Um, little things like that. Service is not an accident. Everything is on purpose. And it starts with just one process or one procedure. You start one by one. It's overwhelming to do it, to be like, oh, I need to basically write a practice manual for how everything operates. But the way things are done is your practice. It's, uh, I just, you preach into the choir. I love it so much. And I, I'm currently like writing systems for CPD Junkie and, and, and going through this process. And, it, and you're right. It's like take the first step. But I wanted to, I want to highlight a few things you said. Like you're, you're busy, you get to this ceiling and, and I, I completely appreciate and understand what you mean. You, you, you can't do more with your hands in the system that you've got and there's opportunity costs then. If you don't optimize, then there's opportunity cost. But I'm also hearing, you know, when you're talking about actually doing the the um, uh, writing the system, you one, it's the staff, and I want to get on to, you know, how do we align the staff with that? How do we, you know, get them going? And obviously that empowers them. But also you're reflecting on the system and not just writing down what you do. You're actually reflecting what, what's best. Um, I love all of those points. Talk a little bit more about how do we align the staff with this? How do we get them motivated? You've, you're just so motivating the way you talk, but how do, how do you do that? What advice do you have? You have um, two choices. Number one, you can recruit an amazing, what I call recruit a winning team, or you can try and work with existing people who are set in their ways and have the challenge of changing their mind. Um, so I want to talk about the, fir- the first one because that's easier. Over time, staff, naturally, they come, they go. If you're a really great practice and you're really big on uh, mentorship, leadership, um, team culture, you'll find that you'll retain more of the good ones. But over time, there is this um, churn of staff. And every time there is, you lose one staff member, you have this opportunity to raise the bar and recruit the kind of person you do want. Except every time this happens, you've just experienced working with someone who maybe wasn't 100%, you know, in line with what you really, in your head is your ideal staff member who's like totally on board with everything you're trying to achieve. But now you have this, it's clearer and clearer. Every time there's a change, it's clearer what it is you want and what it is you don't want. So your recruitment process becomes more refined and more purposeful. Our recruitment process right now is so hectic like it's it seems almost intimidating but I actually deliberately want nine out of ten people to think that it's too much for them I want the kind of people who are like I really really am so in line with what you're all about one of our values is committing to constant and never-ending improvement that's something I learned from um, Julie Parker who's a practice consultant in Melbourne someone who's committed to adaptation. Have you ever worked with a dental staff member, a DA who hates change or like you introduce something new or you have a new material or a new program and they're just like, oh, I can't deal. I feel like I suck and I'm failing and I hate this. Now that would just not happen in our work now. And it used to happen to me a lot. And the reason I'm not being cocky about it is because I've lived the other side of it where they've been like resistant. They make up excuses, um, um, why it's a bad idea. They list for every solution, they have a problem. Now, what that has done for me, at the time I was like, what the hell am I doing wrong? Like, why can't I be a good leader? But what it meant now is when I do recruit, or rather now I've taught someone else to do the recruitment so I don't have to do it, <laughs> yes. um, is we have a such a clearly defined set of values and they're not just wishy-washy words. They're 
backed up by specific examples of what it means. What does it mean to have a positive team culture? What does it practically mean to um, be adaptive to change or what does it mean to be a team player team player is one of those bullshit words that it's just like everyone (laughs) thinks they're a team player but what a team player means is doing something you really don't want to do or it's unfair or whatever because it's in the greater interest of the patient or the practice in that moment that's what being a team player means not it's when something is crap and you're just like oh my god I really I just did the last three I just took the bins out the last three times um what it means to be adapt, you know, adaptable or constant. So, so another one of our values is that we are all committed to mentoring, teaching and learning each other, that they all have a leadership role. If you come into this practice and you learn something, you are obliged to develop your own teaching skills because you would be expected to contribute to everyone's learning. So every time we have a staff meeting now, um, two or three people will present on a topic my brand new DA might present on, we just bought a new um, laser machine. She'll present on how to set up the laser machine and and wipe it down effectively. Um, The new dentist might present on um, how to take, uh, you know, a perfect alginate. Um, And so everybody is expected to teach and learn. So it's this um, non-centralised training program where everyone can be a mentor in something and that's the whole idea of level up it was like we're going to write everyone can write a system or a process and be a leader in that system or a process and everyone can become a nominated mentor in that system or a process and then verify everyone else's growth in that system or a process it could be something as simple as how to pour up a model Mm. there are about six, seven, eight, nine people who know how to do that to a level that they could teach it. There is a documented process, which is like their Bible that they all adhere adhere to it. Um, so that's going to create consistency. And they can verify when the person that they're mentoring um, is competent enough in something. Remember, we are doing really critical things for our patients. We're doing sterilization, infection control, literally surgery inside people's faces. Yet our team who's responsible for setting up and participating in so much of this, there's no verification in their training. It's just like they just kind of follow someone around and absorb what they absorb through whatever and there's no verification or accountability or there's often no um, or very little structure to their learning. So if we were to say, right, everyone in the team is a potential leader in something, we have a completely... um, complete set of systems and processes, by the way, which is constantly evolving and we're adding more every day. Um, It means that when a new person joins, there's such a clear path for them. They're like, in my role, I'm expected to learn these could be 150 systems or processes. Um, But they can see every single person who is a mentor in that. So if they want to learn how to um, operate the amalgamator, I don't know, whatever, they're like, you can go to Maria, Jesse, Luke, or whoever to get leveled up in mentoring in that. And sometimes they're literally five-minute mentoring sessions every time. So we actually set aside time for reading, writing, um, and doing one-on-one training because everybody's on their path to complete their um, full um, scope of training. So if you if you if there are three hundred systems or processes in your practice, by the way, when I say systems, they could be any type of training. It could be how to handle a complaint. Like that's that's a training or a system. Um, 
one by one we all go through this and people think it takes, oh, when am I going to do this? Trust me, it's like the time you'd spend seeing a patient doing a, you know, a checkup and clean in an hour, you can, the return on investment spending that time training a staff member to become a mentor in something so that then they can forever go on to do training is like it's just mind-boggling that people just go to that path of least resistance and go, I'll just see the patient, and they're always stuck. So if you don't change anything, you will always do what you have always done. Um, and really for us, we said, we said, you know, we'll aim to spend one hour like every couple of weeks per staff member. One hour per week per staff member is more than enough if you're new at systemization. Um, but, you know, your staff are there for about 40 hours a week. Imagine if just one of them, you impart this knowledge so that you never, ever have to do it again. I don't take scans. I don't I don't take any of my photos. By the way, if you see any of my photos of my cases and think, wow, cool photo, I promise I didn't take it. I wouldn't even know <laughs> how to. I mean, I could know because it's on the level up um, system. <laughs> but you could you could meet one of your mentors and have a yeah. Look. I could, and they do, and they they're like, look, you got to hold it like this or do that. They they do it because they know that I know that they could do it. The only reason dentists do it is because they want to have control of it. But if you teach someone else what it is that you're looking for, then they're the, they're the they're the ones that become fussy over it. If you teach someone something, it means what you're really doing is saying, I trust you to do this important thing that I'm letting go of. I have written down the system with you or I trust you to write it because this is the standard, this is the performance standard that I want it to get to. It means that as your business grows and scales, you are now not the centric person that is that everyone depends on. It's like you have everybody is a leader in something, everybody is trained to a competent level in what they need to know. Every time your practice um, wants to level up, literally, for lack of a better term, sorry, um, you you can adapt that process. We constantly change as we scale. Um, we now introduced um, a patient consultant role, a sorry, a treatment coordinator we didn't really know what we were doing. We were just kind of winging it from what we'd heard. But we did it imperfectly. Then we adapted it and changed it. We did it imperfectly. So we're constantly updating our systems for our, for our level um, or, or where we're at with our, with our practice. So that's why I'm so passionate about it because it makes such a big difference. And then when I see practices that are struggling with, like they whinge about their staff and go, I hate, um, I hate it when my staff just, do this or they complain about that or they refuse to do this. And this is really hard. Sorry, to go back to your original question from like 45 minutes ago, and I'm sorry to ramble <laughs> on, it was like, how do you get your staff's buying? So one is recruit better, recruit the kind of person that you want by constantly refining and updating your recruitment process, which is also a system we have in Level Up, which I will write and share one day. Um, but the other is to work with your existing staff who are actually used to a certain way. And that's what I had to do because or it was a combination of both. When I when we lose a staff member and we recruit again, one of our things that we commit to is every time we recruit, our average, our team average must go up. We need to recruit someone that's slightly better than our most average player. Um, so the to change this the the mindset of existing staff is is a bit more challenging. It, it takes a little bit of um, vulnerability and um, a, a conversation from the heart and it needs to go something like this. 
I have this idea or a vision that, you know, that I would love. And to achieve this alone is impossible. My idea is blah, 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 X, Y, Z, and you have to say it in a way that's appealing to them because they also want to work in a really um, amazing practice, aesthetically amazing, they have amazing reputation, they have, it's really, um, they do really great treatment, they do um, whatever it is. I promise your team also wants to see that. But if you share your idea and vision, like I love dentistry and I want to do more of the dentistry that gets us to here or I want to do less of this and this and this, but to do it we need to take a step back and change ourselves and reflect and change. And to do that, we need to kind of stop and rewrite our playbook of how things are done. This is an opportunity for us to rewrite our destiny. And, and we have this thing called a team alignment workshop where we kind of walk, help practices, you know, do this with their teams. But a leader can do it on their own. And it's basically, right, let's all define what it is we want to see out of our practice. And really you need every, their input as well. And you put your input and then you really focus on that common ground. There, there will be lots, I promise. And But you've got to be so passionate about why you want to see your practice move to this. It means that we'll be more productive. It means that um, I'm not afraid ever to really talk about um, productivity and revenue in our practice because they have jobs because we are really effective at at um, delivering the services that people need and want. So if we can do more of that, why not share in the reward? It means we'll be in a better facility. We will be able to give more competitive um, salaries. We will be able to recruit better, you know, um, higher standards of people. And it means that everyone knows what they're doing and it's a fun work environment, blah, blah, blah. And so you need to go, we are going to rewrite our systems and processes. And one by one, we're going to kind of chip it, chip it away. It is, it's a one by one thing. Like don't overwhelm yourself. Start with the new patient experience, like what is their phone call like? What is what happens when they first walk in? Like literally play it out with your team. Um, a lot of your team will say, I want a team where we, there's less stress and we communicate better and blah, blah, blah. You need to take time to do, say, team meetings or team training, etc. Define what that looks like. Is there an agenda? Is someone responsible for um, writing things down and holding each other accountable? Is or does it is it just conversations that happen and then nothing kind of happens and you just everyone goes back to what they were originally doing? It's too easy to do that, but it needs the leader to go. I'm committing to this. If you guys do this, and you put your hand out and awkwardly wait until everyone puts their hands on top. And I know you can see my video doing this, and they go, yes. "I'm in," and and you go, "All right." What this means is sometimes it'll be hard. Sometimes it will be like you won't want to change, but you are all here because we're committed to constant improvement of ourselves and development of ourselves. I'm committed to it. You're committed to it. You're committed to it. So it means that it will be hard sometimes. I would love to hear your ideas and feedback. We're going to keep communication open, but we're going to set some goals for ourselves. We're going to write new processes for everything and do it in the way that gets us to that goal of the dream practice that we just defined. Um, are we going to have 200 reviews by the end of the year that are five stars? Yes. How do we get reviews? This, 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 this. And that's a process itself. So it literally takes commit to an hour a week per staff member, like you, not even for you. Like it's a self, it's driven by the team. But um, what you're doing when you kind of voice your passion like that is you're also filtering out the people that are not meant to be there. 
because the people who are like, oh, my God, I do not vibe with this crazy lady. It's so much effort. I just want to chill and do as little work for as little more much pay as possible. What this thing does is it filters out those people and they will self-tap out um, and um, your average just got higher because now you've got an opportunity to replace it with someone that is so on board. So, um, you know, I say this because I've experienced the res- reluctant staff member, the DA that doesn't want to change anything or has a bad attitude or doesn't put the patient first or isn't constantly trying to go, hey, I can do that so that you don't have to do that. Like they're actually doing it for me now. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I need and want. So now, um, yeah, it's amazing. Sorry, I'll, I'll stop rambling. I just love it. Your passion is infectious and uh, that's that's why you're on this podcast. I, I love that so <laughs> Thank much. Thank you. The, this all comes back to empowering your staff. Like let's be honest, us as dentists, we want to grow and be better at what we do. We want to treat our patients. We want that because we like to have progression in our life. That's what makes me happy and I'm sure most people out there, it's, the progression makes you happy. Our staff are the same. And the other thing that you touched on and I, I, I think it's really relevant is having systems so defined like that for a new staff member saying you need to know this abc you know 100 things whatever it is is actually kind of it's it's fair it's it's nice for them to know their standards to meet and be able to meet the standards instead of just coming in and not knowing what makes me anxious is the unknown and so therefore we throw our staff into that and then they don't really know how to do you know abc or set up for this or whatever it is they don't have a system to look to and then we wonder why they're stressed yeah and we also get stressed ourselves because we're like we have this expectation it's not defined then we're, they're trying to read our minds and then in the presence of the patient, we we can't communicate that to one another so we just get frustrated with each other. And often if you have staff reviews and you ask for feedback about you know, yourself, one of the common um, things that they suggest for us to improve is we need clearer expectations of what's ex- what's expected of us in our role, what's, uh, what's our performance standards. Um, and certainly for like I like I have a really specific way that I do a new patient consult and if it deviates like one little bit from it, I just malfunction now because I'm so, um, I'm like, (laughs) this is what I've got it down to. And um, so, you know, my previous DA wrote it down. It was just literally like she will step in and do that and the moment she does that, you do this and then you will usher the patient to the next. (laughs) It's that perfect dance and and, um, if, if that wasn't written down, Oh, it would be a nightmare like um, having to train someone from scratch every time. Like, don't go from scratch every time. You, if it's if it's defined, you've done you've done eighty percent of the work. It's written there, and now someone else can train that person because they've got the playbook. Exactly. Yeah, you don't have to go through and learn it all and do it all again. Um, the, we could talk. We could literally talk about this for hours, but we have already been talking for an hour. Um, Last thing, I just I want to touch on obviously principles. So principles of practice management software. Just give us a quick thing. What is it? Um, why are you so passionate about it? Um, because I believe processes are everything, and um, the way things are done define our success and things. But basically, if I had could say it really quickly, um, we use tech for everything in our lives. Um, it's twenty twenty. There is a certain expectation we have of the software that we use. It should be intuitive. It should be um, uh, interconnected with everything that we need it to connect to. Um, And it should drive the best practice workflow as the default rather than requiring human effort, energy or thought. This 
imagine a practice management software built from the ground up for 2020 and beyond and what you'd expect from that. It almost looks like um, the interface of, I guess, social media. You can tag people, you write a referral letter, you can tag your specialist patient and the staff member. You can create tasks for team members saying, you know, sort out the lab job with so-and-so, send photos to blah, 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 get the referral sorted for whatever it is. So it's just everything is interconnected into one and it just allows us to optimize everything we do operationally with our patients and our team. So it's just like that bucket that we're pouring water into just plugs all the holes so we do everything the right way as clinicians. Um, and, yeah, every everything from like a drag-and-drop treatment planning um, interface where you can see your photos and write your notes at the same time and still see your x-rays. It's all cloud-based, so everything you'd expect from modern modern software. It's still being built um, because there's obviously so, so much to it. The more sophisticated it gets, obviously there's more and more layers, but we're really imagining what it's like for a patient. It's, it's very much patient-centered as well. What would drive a patient to use our systems and practices? I don't do I mean I book online for everything if I have to pick up a phone call you know that's that's just one one little little thing but um if I was due for recall I'd expect a text message that would just give me three options or click here for more bookings not call our practice I'm like oh I'll get around to that never (laughs) exactly are we all the same sounds like yeah the practice management software of the future I'm I'm excited to see that one day and really that Makes a lot of sense, to be honest. Yeah, it looks, oh. looks very sexy as well. Right. Well, we're very excited. When should we expect that? Um, I'd be lying. It's the development team and I um, fight about this a lot because it was three months ago, a year ago. So they say three more months. No, they're expecting a <laughs> January, February launch for our initial beta um, users. So we have a small group of um, beta testers that will um, – launch that will use the first version i mean it's already amazing but um this is going to it's it will constantly evolve and improve so they will have version one of it so any um entrepreneurial types out there who want to contribute to the growth and development of um like uh digital systems to improve our workflow join our beta program because we will you'll definitely be um part of an intimate group of people that will define its growth and its um, evolution. That's no, very exciting, actually, for people out there who can take that opportunity. Uh, I'm sure it would be fascinating. Chidam, tell us about your the tougher times in your career. Um, just like every other dentist, I mean, I've had ups and downs and some of those downs were so devastating to the point where I fantasised about quitting dentistry. I dreamed of... Um, I just, I felt sick going to work. And I don't, I think a lot of people can relate to this. I never want anyone to listen to this podcast and go, oh my gosh, that person's got it all together. Or I wish I could be, that is not at all what I'm trying to do. Obviously I'm passionate about this stuff and I really want to see it succeed. But in the background, I'm a human being too, that suffers with um, the same sorts of um, problems and challenges. So I think um, most people have a problem with experience a a really severe hardship with a patient or a procedure or something's gone wrong Um, or with their workplace it's a staff member their boss um, something like that and it can be so devastating especially if it's really early in their career that if it happens very early it can absolutely 
crush someone's confidence or, or leave such a big dent. And I would just say of all of the dentists that I've talked to or got to know at a deeper level, 99% of them have a story like that. They're not, they have suffered to the point where they've really just thought, it, you know, I can't do this anymore. But, um, you know, know that you're not alone and if you share your story, it's um, these days it's it's far less isolating profession. I think there's so much about mental health and dentistry. It is it can be so stressful if you don't um, have the skills to sort of be really self aware and overcome them. I'm not embarrassed at all to say I um, was seeing a psychologist for a while because I got so down from and the reason I'm passionate about leadership is I was actually a really sucky leader. I wasn't great with my team. I was um, really made some mistakes and and didn't do things the right way and at the time I had a I came from a place that was just I was just an immature place because I didn't by immature I just mean inexperienced sorry um I just hadn't got to that level and I made mistakes with patients clinical um things went wrong not many but it was it was devastating enough that it it really uh was was hard but I would say talk to other dentists or clinicians um, if it's really devastating, talk to a psychologist. It's like psychology is a science and a profession that works if you follow it and do it the, the right way. I She actually got me, um, the lady that I see now, out of uh, we often talk about perfectionism. She does things like makes me um, write emails with horrendous typos and just makes me hit send. <laughs> and she's like, I'm like, she's, I'm like, what will happen? Or she asked what would happen. I said, oh, they might think I'm an idiot and don't know how to spell. I'm like, send it anyway. And, you know, the whole point is that um, if you do things sort of 80% of the the way, it'll it'll get done and that 20% never ends up making making a, a difference. But um, problems with staff, I think that is something I experienced as well. Um, you know, it would I'd come home and it would occupy so much of my mind. Like I would almost ruminate over conversations that we would have or what I would say to them to, you know, I was so angry or upset or hurt or couldn't understand them. But these days I, I think I know I address things immediately. I have a far better way to um, um, diffuse a situation or deal with it, have a difficult interaction with someone. Um, yeah, so I think it all gets better with time. The first few years are supposed to be like rocky. They're supposed to be rocky and every time you hit a rock to say this is supposed to happen because all of those hardships now are what fueled every single thing that I'm supposedly good at now, so inverted commas, it's because I was so bad at it that it, it caused massive devastation and then as I sort of picked myself up and learned about it, I thought, oh, my gosh, what I've learned is really um, so profound. What if I learn more and then I learned more and then I was like, oh, wait, there's a whole this is a whole thing. Um, <laughs> that's that's it. That's exactly my was my next question. You've answered it. Is would you go back and change those things? And clearly, they are the things that have stemmed you into your career, into now the entrepreneurial side of things with the software development and, and everything, and and your patient communication, your teamwork, leadership, everything. Yeah. Would I change any of those? You know, challenging times, hard times. Absolutely not. But what I wish was different is I wish I had more of them early on. It's actually such a counterintuitive thing to say. Yep, yep. The more frequently we experience friction, the more it sort of changes you to adapt and evolve. 
I always say get used to being uncomfortable or get used to um, sucking at something or um, because the longer you spend in that zone, the easier and easier it will it will be. And I don't know if I, I, I know I said this on another podcast. I'm sorry to, if I, I repeat it, but I used to rock climb a fair bit. And um, the a girl that I was once rock climbing with me, with me told me, she's like, oh, I noticed that you're just climbing on the, like the blue and yellow levels, um, which is like medium, um, easy to medium rather. She's like, why don't you, she's like, I noticed you actually make it to the top every time. She's like, you should be doing climbs at a level where you are only likely to get to the top sometimes, like 50% of the time. And I was like, but then I won't make it. She's like, yeah, but you need <laughs> to get used to sucking because every time you climb a hard, harder wall and fail 50% of the time, you're just progressively going to f- suck at harder and harder climbs. And it was she didn't realize like what she told me, but it was a philosophy that I try to apply in life. Get used to sucking at harder and harder things. Um, yeah. That's, and it's so profound. It sounds simple, but it's so profound. It's that I actually used to rock climb a lot. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) I've been to St. Leonard's, um, gym. It was literally at (laughs) Um, St. Leonard's. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that's the thing. It comes back to that development happens at the edge of comfort. Yeah. Like if you're in your comfort zone, you're probably not developing. You might be doing great work, but you're not developing. And if you want to develop, you have to be pushing those boundaries. I really love that. Um, I always wrap this up and I really, we, we should, we've been going so long, I could continue for hours, but we always come back to a question and I want you to think about the, the people listening, the, you know, students and graduates, I want you to think about all the people just about to graduate. They're, literally, they're on the cusp. Imagine you could talk to every single one of those students and teach them one thing, one thing for their career that they're just about to start. What one thing would you teach them? Um, don't put so much pressure on yourself. It's not supposed to, um, you're supposed to fail frequently. I think that's that's something um, that I wish someone set that expectation um, that I didn't put so much pressure on myself to um, do everything perfectly because in the back then, you know, Facebook, when I graduated, if it wasn't that proper DPR didn't exist, all of that. Um, now they're online, they're seeing amazing stuff and there's probably a lot of pressure on them to have an amazing career, be an entrepreneur and blah, blah. It's do not put that kind of pressure on yourself and just um, set the pace um, that is right for you and it's everything is okay. It's all okay. Even if something goes wrong, it's going to be okay in the end Um, and it's supposed to, things are supposed to go wrong. That's it. Walk your own path. And I think what you said and what we've said, you know, many times is that those things that come up are actually what develop you yeah. and make you better. So, um, Chidang Kapel, I, I started this with um, saying that you really are um, an inspiration to me and what you're doing and the cases, the clinical work, the leadership, the thought leadership, um, you know, the entrepreneurial side, it's incredible what you're doing. And I really want to say thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. You've obviously done a couple of episodes of the What I Wish I Knew podcast as well um, on communication that was much more communication orientated. I just want to say thank you for everything. Oh, you're, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. My passion is about teaching and sharing. So you've given me that opportunity. I, I really, really, really do appreciate it. And and as I said, um, this is exactly what I wanted and needed when I was a grad. So to contribute to it from the other side is a, is a great honour and privilege. Well, I'm sure everyone out there is thanking you very much. 
Jadem has such a fascinating story and I really look forward to seeing where that takes her over the next 5-10 years. It's going to be incredible. If you want to find out more about what Chadem is doing, you can find it in the show notes or you can find her on Facebook, on Instagram. You can find Principle, the practice management software and Level Up, the systemization software. Now, we have one of the Ripe Global educators, Caitlin Murray. She's an OHT and she's talking about building an excellent team. This is something that it's easy to think you're not a part of, but it really is every person's responsibility. Look out for her feature interview coming out in a couple of weeks' time. Photos will help you become a better practitioner as you'll want your work to look really good as there's a higher chance that someone is going to look at these photos, whether it's the patient or whether it's on Facebook. Photos may make you strive to be better and they make you assess your mistakes so that you can be a better practitioner and give better treatment to your patients. They also play an important role in treatment planning. Another killer of your time yet essential is going through treatment plans with your patient. A patient who understands their treatment is much more likely to go ahead with their treatment when they can see exactly what you're talking about. The best way to explain treatment to your patients is by using their patient photos. Viewing the photos on a large screen means that you can show the patient exactly what you're talking about and it helps them to better understand their treatment. Especially if you're talking about a cracked tooth, which they essentially may not be having any trouble at all with, but if they can see where the crack is and the surrounding wear on the tooth, then they're much more likely to go ahead with treatment. These photos also make other issues with their teeth more apparent, so they might notice that they don't like the crowding of their teeth or the colour of their teeth, and this can then generate more production for you without having to push the patient into doing anything that they don't want to do or that they didn't know about. If you are a Ripe Global subscriber, you can have access to these consent forms as a reference and you can implement them into your practice. I'll show you one of our extraction consent forms as an example. So what the consent forms go through is the first page talks about the procedure. So what procedure are you doing and how is it done? The next part moves on to the risks. Every treatment is going to have its own set of risks and although the risks are very unlikely, it's important that you go through these with your patient. Then we move on to talking about these risks in further detail. Some risks are going to be higher for some and you can make extra notes on the consent forms for certain patients. Then we look at the maintenance, which informs the patient that they need to maintain their teeth and the work that you've done and attend routine checkups. The patient signs the form and dates it, and the form can then be scanned into their file. Every patient needs to sign a consent form and a treatment plan before they go ahead with treatment. Verbal consent is not enough. You still need to verbally explain the risks and the procedure with the patient, but it's important that this written consent form is signed. We often get asked, do we have any trouble with getting patients to sign these consent forms? Well, no. The patient understands that it is a requirement of their treatment that they sign the form and we've already explained everything on the form so they feel comfortable to go ahead with treatment. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. 
So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com start to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.